I always tell people on my team and myself, I try to practice this as much as I can as well, is you can learn from anybody. You always think of a mentor as a senior person who's got all the experience and above you, but you can learn from anyone. And I tell people this, you can learn what not to do from people as well. You know, I mean, there, there are so many ways you can learn from people. I never have one person that I've always been like, oh, this is the person I want to emulate as much as I have different bits from people. Welcome to Conversations with Connors, a NetworkWise podcast, and I'm your host, Adam Connors. NetworkWise trains and educates individuals and organizations in the science and art of networking to accelerate sales, personal development, and career opportunities. In Conversations with Connors, I talk with a variety of highly successful individuals in order to gain insights on how they built, maintained, and cultivated their relationships in order to live a life by design, not by default. In this episode, I chat with Jason Murphy, CFO of Riverside, a leading middle market global private equity firm. Our conversation spans his interesting story and his professional journey. Amongst many conversation topics, Jason reveals the three key factors that have contributed to his success. Effective communication, financial acumen, and adaptability. He didn't mention this, but I'll share this because I know him and some of his team, but he's an excellent leader, which I know has been a significant ingredient in his success. Tune in to gain valuable insights into building a career and valuable business for my friend, Jason Murphy. For those of you that haven't had the pleasure of knowing you like I have for over a decade, I can't believe it's been that long. Give us a quick synopsis. Who are you? What do you do? Uh, yeah. So Jason Murphy, I am the uh, management company CFO for a private equity firm called the Riverside Company, uh, middle market private equity firm, well-established, um, coming up on 35 years at this point. Um, so a well-established firm in the middle market based here in New York with offices throughout the United States, Europe, and, and Australia. Um, did you always know that you were going to be a CFO? Yes and no. I mean, in the sense that, you know, kind of once I made the decision in college to pursue accounting, you kind of have that mentality that that's, that that's where you're going with it, you know, is okay. Well, I need to check off the list, right? I need to get my accounting degree, go work for a big four account, you know, get my CPA license, go work for a big four accounting firm and, you know, kind of get into the corporate world and, and work your way up to CFO. So in the sense, yes, but uh, it wasn't a quite a direct path, and um, you know, and at times that was off the table, um, you know, and then kind of kind of came back into into being. So, hmm. can you elaborate on that? Yeah, um, I mean, you know, that was the path. Like I said, I came out of college. I was uh, fortunate enough to to get a job at Deloitte and Touche, and you know, originally you, you stay for the two years that are necessary to to get your CPA license, which of course is everybody's goal, and. After two years, I said, I, I like this. And, and I hung around and I made it five years uh, before I, I eventually jumped ship. And funny enough, I jumped ship to go work at a local accounting firm um, because my my thought at the time, the game plan was to settle down, uh, start a family and probably own my own, you know, start my own accounting practice. And I was uh, on the audit side at Deloitte, which is a, a good skill, but to have your own practice, you need tax experience. Um, and I approached the folks at Deloitte and... Uh, they said, "Hey, we love you, but you're an auditor, and you've been in audit for five years. We don't just start you now in tax, you know." So I left to to get that experience. Uh, started working for a regional firm in in uh, West Palm Beach, 
and uh, learned, you know, kind of the tax side of the house. They did some audit work, but I learned tax side of the house there. And um, yeah, eventually did branch out, start my own firm. Um, you know, doing a lot of tax work, did, did a, a little bit of, of audit and bookkeeping compilation type work. Um, and then, you know, at the time uh, that the goal was to build that practice, we were, you know, kind of a couple years into that practice, really starting to settle down in the community and building out a nice book of business. Um, and the you know plan was to have kids and, and continue on that path. Unfortunately, the kid having part of the plan did not go exactly as, as planned. And that took a, another, I guess, eight-ish years before that plan kind of finally took hold. Uh, but in the meantime, yeah, uh, my wife and I kind of made the decision to say, okay, well, you know, if we're not having kids and we're not staying in this, you know, kind of smaller town in North Carolina and building a, a local accounting practice and being really kind of part of the fabric of the community, what are we doing? And the answer was, well, we need to kind of get back into the fast lane. And, and you know, we, uh, at the time, both decided to get our, our MBAs. Uh, we were in North Carolina now at this point um, and ultimately transitioned from North Carolina up here to New York. Um, but that was, you know, that was once I kind of got back into the fast lane. Now I was back on, okay, you know, corporate track, get back in with a, a large company. I knew, I knew I wasn't big company material. I don't like the the politics and, and a super large organization. I like where I can being somewhere where I can affect change. Um, you know, where I, where I have the CEO's ear, you know, I can see processes end to end. So, uh, you know, kind of knew I always wanted to be mid market, but, um, so very happy where I ultimately ended up at, at Riverside, but yeah, you know, it was kind of kind of funny. At one point, if you would have talked to me back in early 2000s, you know, we would have been great partners together because I would have had a local accounting practice. You would have, you know, been building your local business. You might have been a client of mine. I would have been referring people to, you know, that's what I was doing at the time when I was in North Carolina. It's very, very interesting in that sense. Um, but yeah, not what I was looking to do long term in a, you know, community full of minivans with with no kids. Uh, so. <laughs> what, what have you, what's been the best experience about being a CFO? What would you say are kind of like some of the pros and, and if anything, what are some of the cons? One of the things, and, and I'm, I'm getting on in years where you, you start to see um, folks who transition from a, a CFO role to potentially a CEO role, right? And to step up and, and lead the business. And it's, interesting having owned my own business and been the chief decision maker and, and been responsible for, you know, finding clients and, and the stress of, of, of that managing employees and, and, and all of that. Um, you know, it's not something I really want to do. Um, I like being the number two. I, I like being the person who is influencing the decision making. Uh, I don't need to be the decision maker. Um, but somebody who, you know, in my role, I have the pulse on, you know, I, my finger on the pulse of the organization. I work with every, every department, everybody, you know, from the back office to the front office to our deal teams, right? I, I work with everybody. So that aspect I love, right? I get to deal with the entire business. I get to deal with the mundane accounts payable, payroll, you know, processing, you know, back office type of thing, but then also sitting with our fund managers talking about their strategy and how they want to grow their part of the business, right? What we can, what, what we, the management company, the Riverside proper can do to support that, right? And then sitting with the CEO, uh, we have co-CEOs, so sitting with the CEOs and talking strategically about, hey, what can we do to support this line of business? What can we do to support the growth over here? So that is really why I like my job. Um, you know, kind of really what I like about being the CFO, being that person at the table, you know, kind of hearing the inputs, trying to be the voice of reason. You know, my role is, is naturally a conservative type role. 
uh, which fits well with my personality. I'm not, hey, you know, let's charge forward and see what happens. You know, I'm the guy who says, hey, we need, you know, X, Y, and Z in order before we, we move forward. Um, so I, I like to be that that voice of reason. Sometimes the contrarian, if you've, you've got a room full of alpha folks who, you know, kind of want to just charge forward and see what happens. And I'm that guy who says, whoa, let's take a step back. So um, it's, it's the role that I like. Um, obviously, it is, you know, there's a, a certain level of stress that, that comes with it. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's tough because there are times when you, you have to make hard decisions, right. Um, you know, with regards to cutting business units, cutting heads, you know, cutting costs. And, you know, that's, that's certainly a a challenging aspect of the job. Um, you know, over the years I've been at companies where we've, we've been acquired and I've had to shut down, you know, my department and transition it to a shared service center and, and ultimately lay everybody off. Um, those things are tough. It unfortunately comes, the good, the good comes with the bad. Um, and, you know, through any of that type of stuff, obviously, you know, working and treating people fairly and through the process and communicating is important. But um, it is, uh, that that would be kind of part of the, one of the downsides of the job. You, you know, just to, to clarify for those, and, and if you, you'd be kind enough to edify those that aren't as familiar, you said company CFO, internal company. Do you mind explaining the difference? Yeah. So when I started, they had somebody in the uh, CFO role who still bears the CFO title. Um, and so they gave me the management company CFO. So um, <clears throat> in terms of how our, you know, we're a private equity firm, so we invest in, in other companies. And so our CFO at this point, he largely deals with the fund administration side of the house, the deal structuring, uh, legal and, and tax type issues. So we've kind of made a, a clear separation where I run what is uh, the business of Riverside, right? So I'm more concerned with making sure that all of our product lines are profitable, right? And and kind of supporting the overall structure and focused on working with our co-CEOs directly to make sure that we're running a, you know, a healthy, successful business, that we've got, you know, the lines of credit, the balance sheet supporting, you know, a new product that we're mapping, modeling out, you know, what that new product is, what the financial needs are of that new product, you know, our hiring plan for, for building out that new product, that sort of thing. So running the, the kind of actual business. How important is it for you to understand the underlying businesses that you're supporting, like within these portfolio companies? It's very important. I think, you know, related to that is really asking the right questions. Um, so being able, yeah, I think it helps that I'm a naturally curious person. I like to learn things. I like to know how things work, you know, physical things like a car engine, but also, you know, a business. Uh, how we, you know, one, how we make our money, how we understand a good deal from a bad deal, uh, you know, how we evaluate our talent in terms of their ability to identify good deals from bad deals. So I think that level of curiosity has served me well. Um, you know, I'm not intimidated by a person at the other side of the table who could be massively successful and critically important to the firm and somebody that, oh, we don't want to upset them. You know, I'm not afraid of that. I'm not afraid of getting in with them and saying, hey, tell me how this works. You know, tell me how you make your decisions, not looking to take over your job. I just want to understand it, you know, because I'm looking across the whole organization where I'm typically dealing with somebody who's focused on, you know, kind of their world and their vertical. So it also helps that I bring something to the table in the sense of, you know, a little bit of internal networking, if you will, where, you know, I see a problem they're struggling with and I say, oh, you should talk to so-and-so. They dealt with that problem last year, or we've seen them be successful, you know, because of this it's very similar to what you're dealing with, you know, go pick their brain. So it's interesting because I see across the organization, 
you know, that ability to kind of add value as you're trying to also understand what somebody else is doing. I'm going to want to uh, draw on that a little more later. I got a couple other questions, but but you really touched on something that was really important about, you know, when you talked about internal networking and you said something that really uh, indicated that you understand it because you offered to provide value by knowing somebody else within the organization. So, so I want to draw on that a little later. And I'm really glad that you highlighted that. Um, getting back to your role and like what you're doing in the day to day, or I guess just even in general, I know it's a lot of skill sets, but maybe if you could boil them down to three, what do you think would be the three main skill sets that you're drawing upon that have led to your success? Uh, or, or maybe what were the experiences prior that helped you to develop those skill sets? That's interesting. Um, because I'm so I, you know, I'm in the the private equity space, and when I came to Riverside, I did not have any private equity experience. Um, I was going to get into that too. So I was, I was, I you know, trust me, I questioned that because I'm I'm a very direct, a very honest person, and when I when I interviewed with the the CEO who was based in New York, um, founder of the firm, you know, my question to him was, "Why are you interested in me? I'm coming from North Carolina." Surely there are plenty of other candidates in New York that are, you know, coming out of private equity firms that have the experience you're looking for that are much better than me. What qualifies me for this role? And in hindsight, you know, I'm actually a bit happier that I'm an outsider in, in that sense that I, and it's, it's actually worked well as I've built my team because I've not been intimidated by finding people who don't have private equity experience. And honestly, I've been more successful with people hiring people for my team that don't have private equity experience. So they don't come in with kind of preconceived notions and they don't walk around with, well, this is how we did it at my last firm. You know, they're, they're more open. And I think that's what was helpful to me because, you know, I didn't know any better. So I, I was asking a lot of questions because this was a new industry for me and I loved talking to people and I loved understanding what everybody did. And to your point, I think in hindsight, that built a very broad base within the firm of people that I knew. So are you drawing, are you saying curiosity? Is yeah. that where, yeah. sorry, sorry to cut you off. Yeah, no, no, yeah. I, that, that's exactly. So, you know, I think, you know, so, so obviously curiosity, I think is, is the, the soft, the one soft thing that was super helpful, right? Because I'm like, I don't know how this works. Let's go talk to the person that's in charge of that. And let's understand how it, how it works over there. And then, you know, obviously on the technical side, yes, I've got a strong accounting background, um, I've got a finance uh, background as well. So kind of building a lot of the resources that Riverside needed from a budgeting, from a forecasting, some of the tools. Thankfully, we've moved away from a lot of these Excel integration tools that I built um, to proper systems nowadays. But, you know, early on, that was, you know, kind of how you cobbled together reports and got data from different systems and made it usable. So that was a, a very valuable skill early on. I was able to kind of distill a lot of the data that was tied up in the firm and not really accessible for the CEOs you know, to kind of see how the business was performing. Because the irony, when I was hired in my first day was right after Labor Day. So September 3rd or 4th of 2008, right when everything was going south. Um, it's that, an understatement. Yeah. Um, so here I was coming into a firm and the world of in that, the financial- that was the day Lehman went down. Yeah. Right? Uh, was, yeah. I mean, I was, I was just commuting into the city for the first time and all I'm hearing on the train is people losing their jobs and you know, we had, uh, you know, our young, our young folks that we were hiring talking about their buddies who had offers rescinded, you know? And so I'm, I'm like, and my wife's like, how long are you going to have your job? Like, is your company going to be okay? You know? And so that 
Stress was also good because I had to get in there and immediately understand the business, what all the levers were, what we could control, what we couldn't control, you know, what was at risk in the near term, in the long term. And so, you know, again, kind of getting in there and trying to quickly, you know, a lot of the tools that were available at the time for inside the firm were, were not good. So, you know, being able to paint that picture to the owners who were, you know, they were in massive growth mode. So everything was just bigger than last year, bigger than last year. You don't have to worry about your expenses because you have more revenue than you had last year. So it's all good. And suddenly, you know, they had gone on a big hiring binge from 06 to 08. You know, so being able to kind of quantify the financial impact of that, the you know, what revenue impacts we could expect over the next, you know, one to two years uh, as a result of the crisis. And, you know, it was an interesting exercise in the sense of working with each of the groups to say, hey, what's, what's the downside? What's your worst case scenario? Nobody could really estimate the worst case scenario uh, from a budgeting standpoint. You know, we, we had a lot of those, what I call goalposts, where we said, okay, what's, what do you think is going to happen right down the middle? And then what's a good thing? And, and what's like the absolute worst, right? Because we're, we're in a global financial crisis, you know, what's the absolute worst thing that could happen? And, and by and large, most people could not fathom how bad it could be, right? Um, and so, you know, that was an interesting time, but it also, it got me right in there. It got me to understand the business. So my technical skills, you know, being able to distill data, it's one of the things I, I like to think I'm good at is being able to distill that data and present it in a way visually and, you know, in terms of driving the, the important points home, you know, that's been something that I've, I've enjoyed doing. It's been a helpful uh, aspect of, of what I do. And, and honestly, because in our, in our, in our space, there are so many different levers and so many different little things that affect the overall outcome, being able to understand those and communicate those to people has been very important. So if I could try to distill that, it would be curiosity. It sounds like technical, you know, skills and, and, you know, strategy. And then like that, maybe that third one ish would be the ability to kind of communicate the story and, and yes. connect with yeah. people. Yeah, put the narrative together. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that, that's really interesting. What are your thoughts on process? And, and the reason I ask that is um, I was listening to a good podcast the other day and they were talking about how important, like Warren Buffett was like stressing the importance of process. And, and he said something that was really, I thought was awesome. He said, um, uh, he looks at investments and he talked about the importance of, of systems themselves being like intuitive and, and user friendly. And his quote was, when I buy a company, I want to make sure that the systems and process are so awesome and seamless that an idiot can run them <laughs> because one day they will. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's funny when, you know, those are, you know, we've got our, our hundred day checklist when we go into a company and, you know, that that's the one right below the people, right? Is is process systems, um, and depending on the company, you know, it might be their sales system, could be something on the manufacturing side of things if it's a manufacturing company. But <clears throat> accounting systems is always in there. Uh, you know, that's always one of the things because we buy a lot of mid market companies, so a lot of companies that are still you know on QuickBooks or may have you know just implemented something a bit bigger like a NetSuite, um, you know, or an Intact. So. You know, that's important for us is, is to go in there. You know, we look, obviously we focus on the C-suite, we focus on the sales team, we focus on the, you know, the HR team and say, okay, are these folks strong and do we need to keep or replace, you know, as, as we come in and, and, you know, once we are the owners and then, yeah, right beneath that is what are the systems, you know, what do we need to help drive the growth of the firm? And you can't, you can't drive growth without that proper foundation. And, you know, it's interesting 
when you look at Riverside, what we do, it's the same thing, right? Our best systems are the ones that are important to be, you know, we've always been good on origination. We, we've got a, a great database. We track, you know, we know every deal that's come in since back in 1988, you know, and we track all the deals that we got outbid on that we missed on and, and their success. So we've got a wealth of data. Um, and then we've got an in-house tool that we've built for tracking our portfolio companies and, and, you know, monitoring, you know, their operations. Um, but to your point, that all changes. And, you know, we built that system uh, 20 years ago because there was nothing out there. There was nothing off the shelf that you could buy. Um, now there are much better tools. And, and uh, it's funny, on, on my drive in, I was talking with our CIO um, about that because we're in the process of saying, okay, this is a 20-year-old system. We need to look at the next iteration of this, uh, you know, and, and how this can be supported going forward. And it's probably not the custom homegrown solution that we have today, right? Um, so yeah, we take that, you know, uh, again, kind of that, to your point, that management company CFO title, that's part of my job is to take that inward focus, right? Our transactors, our operating team, they're focused on all the companies that we're buying as part of our investment portfolio. But then those of us who are running the, the, the proper for, you know, the firm proper, we're sitting there saying, we need to do the same things here at home too. You know, that we're the same prescriptions we're, we're saying for our portfolio companies, you know, we need to do at home too. We need tighter. We've got great systems, but a lot of them don't talk to each other, you know? And so that level of integration, we just upgraded our, our origination software. That's probably been three or four years now. Uh, you know, we had outgrown the vendor, you know, we'd outgrown kind of their ability to support our, our ever changing and growing business. Um, so yeah, it's one of those things you need, but it's also one of those things that is is kind of constantly in a state of flux. Um, you know, even when we look, we uh, implemented, we were on QuickBooks back before I started in 08. They had just moved from QuickBooks to SAP Business One, which was a, a terrible fit for us. And that's part of it too, is an understanding when you've made that terrible fit. We, I tried to fix that system for years and, and finally we, we threw in the towel and, and moved over to NetSuite, which has just been, been great for us. Um, but yeah, that's, you know, and we're still looking at how we can integrate that further and use more and more tools. You know, we're focused on, uh, AP automation, uh, for us is, is a goal this year. Um, and moving all of our Excel reporting and budgeting and <laughs> forecasting we've, uh, as of, as of this month, we, the reporting side of things is in a tool called, uh, Anaplan, which is, is gets us out of Excel. And, uh, we've kicked off moving the, the budget model, which I built, you know, 15 years ago now. And it's obviously gone, gone through a lot of growth spurts since then, but it's, it's, you know, it's a massive, a massive Excel spreadsheet that we just, we don't need it. If, if I get hit by a bus, we're in trouble. And, you know, that's the goal is that I can get hit by a bus and the firm can, can carry on. And this is that, that last bit, you know, that's really tied to me being alive. You, you know, it's interesting. You touched on something that I think is really <clears throat> important. Um, actually, my wife and I were just talking about this last night, you know, like as if you were hit by a bus, how often, you know, in getting back to processes, you know, the goal, you know, what I've always told people is, you know, when you, when you uh, take a role is to work yourself out of the role Yes. and to be able to bring someone up along with you, how, how obviously you, you know, you're doing that. Is that something, how important do you think that is, you know, when you're hiring people or, you know, just running that way of thinking within an organization? Well, funny enough, the guy that the first hire that, that I had through you years ago through Spire, uh, Chris Valdejuli, he was, um, that was his job. His job was to take the budget model away from me and to, you know, kind of build out that financial systems aspect of our, our budgeting and forecasting process. Um, he built a lot of great things. Unfortunately, he, uh, he moved back to, to Tennessee and, and, and left us. Um, but, and it's been hard since then, honestly. Um, you know, I've, I've got a couple of people. I, I was just having this conversation with a guy in the office yesterday who's not on my team, uh, but works heavily with my team and understands. And I, 
I told him, I said, you realize that you now know enough about how this, this model works, that if I get hit by a bus, you're the guy, you know, you're the guy they're going to come to and it says, you know how this works. Right. And he goes, Ooh, he goes, I think I could manage it for a little while. But, but again, that's, you know, part of democratizing the data, right. Is that I don't want to be the bottleneck. I don't want to be the, the person who gets hit by the bus and causes problems for the firm. Cause you're right. I tell everybody on my team, myself included, our goal is to, to work ourselves out of a job. Trust me, the firm is growing. There's enough to do. We will never work ourselves out of a job, but we can't just sit here and say, my job is to hold these things together. No, my job is to make these things better and make them function without me because there will be something else tomorrow that I will need to focus on and be asked to hold together. And then I need to make that better and make it a repetitive process and make it integrated and make it something that can, again, live without me. So yeah, that's always always been my focus. Um, I've yet to get to the end. I don't know what what will happen if I ever get to the end, but uh, <laughs> you know. Like you said, there'll be plenty of opportunities. And, and it's something that you just touched on again. So I guess it's now time for me to d- delve into this a little deeper. Like you just talked about having a relationship with someone else that could do something, you know, if, if you weren't there. How important are some of these relationships that you've built internally? And, and when I talk about internally, I don't, I don't necessarily mean at Riverside proper, but I'd like to also even talk about maybe some of your portfolio companies. You know, do you, do you, how important is it for you to have relationships with the people that you're facing off with and, and how did they come to be? Yeah. So I think, you know, <clears throat> internally, it's it's very interesting. Um, you know, I've, I've been at Riverside now for 15 years, which is uh, crazy uh, in terms of my typical tenure. I, I usually get bored. To your point, I, I kind of work myself out of a job and I get to a maintenance mode and, and I'm not a maintenance mode kind of guy and, and, and I leave. Uh, Riverside has thankfully thrown enough at me that I, I have yet to hit, hit maintenance mode. But, um, but as a result, you know, having been there now 15 years, I, I am a resource uh, to a lot of people. And, you know, it is, you know, I, a lot of people come to me and I'll tell them, I say, look, I know the answer to your question, but it's not my, it's not really my question to answer because it's not my area. Let's go talk to the person who it is. Let me make that connection, right? Let me introduce you to the person you need to talk to. Um, yeah. Now if it's, you know, eight o'clock at night and there's nobody around, they need an answer. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll give you the answer. But, you know, generally I want to make that, that connection. Uh, and it's obviously, you know, when you think about my team, you know, we run accounting, we run payroll, you know, we handle the, the overall budgeting and forecasting for the business. So we get a lot of questions from people and we see a lot of stuff that's very confusing. So we're always asking questions. So, you know, a big part of the role for me, my controller, my assistant controller is to know who in the firm can answer those questions. Cause I know a lot, but I don't know everything, you know? And, but so it's important that I know who to introduce them to or who to say, Hey, email so-and-so I, I know the scenario. I know what you're, I know what this is, but they're going to be able to give us the nuanced explanation that we need to make sure we're booking it right, that we're charging it back to the right place, that sort of thing. So let me ask you this though, it's not just knowing them, it's getting them to respond Yes, and it's getting them. So, so knowing that yeah, that's the first step, no question, but you got to have the relationship with them to have them maybe take the call at eight o'clock, you know, if you're not around. So a lot of that is missed in corporate and a lot of people don't understand the value of that. And I can tell you that firsthand because what's happened, and this is what, what a lot of organizations have hired me to do to help with, is what happened, especially after the pandemic, is that organizations within their departments did a very good job yes. of building relationships amongst each other. And they got siloed and they didn't 
take the time to understand how, like you said, you understand how the different organization works and you get to know all the people and you can give them the answers. You can get those answers, but a lot of people have not done that. So how have you done or what advice might you have for someone else who's getting into private equity or it doesn't even have to be private equity in another organization? You know, what, what did you do to learn about their business? How'd you establish the rapport? What are things that you're, yeah. 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 yeah, No, no. Um, no, I, it's funny when I, so when I, again, when I, and do you agree or dis like, and I'm okay if you don't, no, if you're I, not sensing that. I fully it. agree. Um, you know, I mean, kind of two things, right? One, when I started at Riverside, kind of my counterpart on the, the fund administration side. So kind of, there's two accounting teams within Riverside, right? There's, there's the one that I run. And then there's the gentleman who runs the, the fund accounting team, which we hire similar people, but we do entirely different work. But I quickly knew he was key to understanding a lot of the things that went on at Riverside. And so he and I had a, a standing lunch every Tuesday or Wednesday, whatever it was, you know, we're at Rockefeller Center. We'd walk downstairs. We'd go over to this, you know, place kind of two blocks over, get our, our quesadillas, walk back to the office, hang out in the, in the conference room for a couple minutes, you know, eat lunch and, and go about our day. And that was very important early on to make those connections. And, you know, thankfully I was able to travel to a lot of our offices and, you know, hanging out, particularly with our European colleagues uh, after work is, is a big time for them to, to hang out, have a drink and socialize. And, you know, I'm not a late night drinking partying guy, but, you know, you do those things when in Rome, you know, you do those things to build those relationships. They now remember, oh, you're the guy that hung out with us and, you know, had a good time. Remember that night, you know, and you, you build that that kind of camaraderie. And, you know, it's interesting on the flip side of, of COVID right? Everybody's kind of clamoring for remote work. And I say, look, it's fine. I don't mind. You know, I enjoy the flexibility. I enjoy, you know, being able to be, you know, walk out of my house and, and be at a kid's sporting event in the evening instead of having to try to, to get back from the city early. Um, it's great. But if I was coming out of college today, you know, you, you don't realize everybody thinks, you know, apprenticeship is, is kind of a, a, a blue collar thing, but it exists very much in, in the white collar world. And when I think about my days at Deloitte, I learned from sitting in a conference room with my entire you know audit team from junior staff people like myself up to the senior and the manager and the partner you know seeing how they conducted their jobs and that's really hard now for people who are coming out of college taking a job and they're excited to be remote but they don't realize I think you know I think we'll it'll be a little while before we really start to appreciate the negative long-term impacts on career growth because you're when you're the junior person in that office and someone says, "Hey, come sit in on this meeting." You know, you don't you don't get that Zoom call at home to come sit in on the meeting, right? <laughs> yeah. um, so, you know, that sort of internal networking is is very important. And I'm fortunate at Riverside, we've scaled it back now. We're we're 300 plus firms, so we we only get people together every three years. We used to get the whole firm together every year. Then we moved it to every two years, and now we're we're on a three year cycle. Our CEOs are think it's important, and and they appreciate the importance of it. And so every three years, we just we were just in Scottsdale uh, back in March. You know, we get everybody together for a couple of days, and you know, it's a it's a great time. It you know, it is. It's part of. Oh, hey, I need to introduce you to so and so from Australia, and just to put a face with a name. And you know, I experienced that at, at a prior company where we had we were worldwide, and so get you know, a small firm but global, and that's a challenge. You know, a small global firm because we don't have established processes, and and part so much of it is that communication getting out to those offices and meeting those people. They take the phone call when you call because they know who you are. They had dinner with you when you were in their country. You've been to their house. You know, you've met their family. Uh, that sort of thing is 
is very important in, in terms of just building that that basic relationship. So they take the call or when I say, hey, can you talk to so-and-so and explain something? Oh yeah, for you, no problem. You know, it's important. You don't appreciate eventually, you know, particularly as you move, as you move from a job that is less process, right? Like the person on my team who manages accounts payable, right? It's, it's taking bills in, it's getting them coded to the system. She's got her network of people she reaches out to. She, you know, she knows. But wait, as you get a little further up and, and yeah, my, my phone call on the drive-in was a little bit of that softer side of, you know, kind of trying to manage a couple of competing positions, trying to, you know, manage somebody who who wants to pull us in one direction, somebody who wants to pull us in another direction. So that that art of networking becomes even more important as you as you move up. What you're talking about, it's it's interesting, is when you have these kinds of relationships established, things happen for you easier, they happen for you faster, and the outcomes are greater. And organizations that have, you know, this is trust, right? Because right. they trust you. They know that, you know, you know they trust if you got a question that you're not going to waste their time. They trust that if you're going to introduce them to someone, right. there's a borrowed trust involved. And they trust they can share something with you that may not be, you know, ready for prime time or maybe insightful to you. As, and they know that you're not going to, you know, you're going to use discretion where it's appropriate. Huge. Yeah. And organizations that don't have that, what happens if you don't have this trust because you don't have those relationships, what happens is things are slower, they're more costly, and then you get a what I call a trust tax, yeah. right? Versus organizations that that kind of foster this or like how, you know like what you're doing, building these relationships, they happen faster, easier, they cost less money, and then you get a trust dividend. You're right, and you know it's not perfect at Riverside, and, and there are certainly groups that I have less trust with and groups that I have more trust with. You're spot on you know, in terms of things run more smoothly with the teams that you have a high level of trust with. Yeah. And that trust is two ways. Yeah. yeah. What what do you recommend for, you know, someone that's listening right now within their organization? What what are things that they can be doing? Like who are the kinds of people, and I'm talking general because- you know, all you know, you, so many different types of companies. But who who are who are you think are good like nodes within an organization to have relationships with? It's funny the the two groups that I always work closely with in my role is the the IT department and the HR department. And those are the two groups outside of accounting that they know everything that's going on and they know everybody. And there's plenty of things they know that they can't share with you, but they know their way around the organization. They know the plumbing. They know where the skeletons are. Um, so those are always great groups. But I would say, and, and I know this is, is challenging for a lot of folks, is to be in the office, to be, to be, you know, whatever that be present looks like, right? So that you can get that, hey, we've got an empty spot at lunch. You want to come join us? Or, hey, I'm about to go into this meeting with, you know, the CEO, a senior partner, you know, a senior person at the firm. Come sit in on this, right? Or, just people standing around your cubicle or your office talking and you're hearing what's going on, right? So, you know, one of the things I think about, I was listening to some of your your podcasts and, and you know, people talk about their mentors and, and, and things like that. And, you know, I always tell people on my team and I, myself, I try to practice this as much as I can as well, is you can learn from anybody. You know, you always think of a mentor as a senior person who's got all the experience and above you, but you can learn from, from anyone. And, yeah, you know, I also I tell people this, you can learn what not to do from people as well. You know, I mean, there, there's so many ways you can learn from people. And I, I, I don't have, you know, I, I never have one person that I've always been like, oh, this is the person I want to emulate as much as I have different bits from people, you know, even peers that I'm like, oh, you know, this person, they manage their time so well, you know, I've got to like kind of pay attention to what they're doing. And this person is good at building consensus, you know, and, and keeping everybody happy without bumping, you know, without bumping elbows. I got to pay attention to them. So, you know, 
to me, that's what I always tell because I, you know, I get people, you know, come to me and oh, I don't like working with so-and-so and I'm like, Hey, you're learning what not to do. Right. You know? And so there's, there's always a, a learning opportunity. And as you know, I've, I've tried to, to focus more over the years on those folks that I can, you know, learn from. Um, but yeah, but back to your, back to your question. Yeah, definitely. Uh, HR and IT, uh, you know, great places. Accounting, uh, obviously I'm partial to accounting, but again, we know everything. Everybody at the firm is being hired and fired. Everybody at the firm needs a piece of equipment and everybody at the firm needs to get paid. So, you know, those are the three <laughs> groups that know what's going on. Uh, we used to communicate a lot with IT because we'd find out that we had an employee in a foreign location, right? And they either, they, we find them very quickly because at some point they need a computer or they're supposed to get paid. So we would keep each other in the loop. Hey, did you know we hired a new person in Australia? No, we didn't get that memo yet. Now, obviously we've got better processes in place now, but in the early days, you know, it was that level of communication because we knew what was going on. That's great. It's funny you talked about being in the office and, and I, I know you're going to appreciate this. So a friend of mine that's a partner at a, a venture capital firm, uh, this is, you know, as the pandemic, everyone's coming out and, you know, nobody wanted to be in the office and they had somebody, they'd hired somebody who was kind of like trying to like recreate themselves. They were like a woman in her mid forties and, and she took a job uh, answering the phones, kind of just doing reception, being at the the front. And I forgot what happened. Someone, one of the people didn't show up for a meeting and they really just needed somebody to just like look apart, <laughs> you know? So she said, Hey, can I'll, I'll come into the meeting. I'll take notes and I'll do whatever. Um, anyhow, she did that. She joined, you know, they had investor meeting. She, she took notes. She went the extra mile to like highlight them and she kind of sent them out to everybody. Well, you know, she went from being a $40,000, um, reception. I don't know what you want to call it these days, you know, within literally within six months, she's making $160,000. They made her like an associate. They put her and they put her part of like the investment, the deal team. Now, none of that would have happened had she not been there and raised her hand, raised her hand. And also I'm assuming she must've built some kind of relationship with, with him, you know, an extra couple of minutes here there to say, Hey, how are you doing? How was your day? That kind of stuff. None of that happens if, you know, if, if she's uh, zoom in Florida somewhere. Yeah. I always also come back to with anybody on my team is, is have honest conversations, you know, and, and more importantly, I suppose, find people that you can have honest conversations with, right? Mm -hmm. I get a lot of folks who don't work for me, who come into my office and want to talk about their career. Um, both, you know, if it's continuing at Riverside or if it's if it's looking for some other opportunity, because they know I'm going to give them an honest opinion. They know I'm going to give them my thoughts that are, are are for real. They're not biased to keep them here or biased to to kick them out the door. Um, and I say that with my folks. Hey, you know, look, I hire people that I know may not work for me forever, but hopefully I can give them the the next level of skills that they're looking for. I can help them on their growth path, and if that growth path continues you know, outside of Riverside, great. You know, I've launched somebody out and, and I've, I've helped their career somewhere else. And I don't mind that, you know, and, and as long as, you know, we benefited from them for their time here. And look, if it turns out there's an opportunity for them to continue on at Riverside, either on my team or on another team or, or elsewhere, that's great as well. But, you know, it's, it's nice to have those conversations with people who are kind of looking out for you. And we'll give you that honest. I had somebody on my team uh, years ago, she was looking to leave. She came to me and said, Hey, I'm, I'm looking to leave. And I said, oh, you know, look, we were your first job out of college. I encourage you to go work somewhere else. And this was a, a job at Moody's big company. I said, you know, it's going to be a big environment. It's going to be very different than what you're used to here, but go for it. Go check it out. See if you like it. She loved it. She's still there. She's been promoted. She's, she's doing great. She's kicking butt. Very happy for her. Uh, obviously miss her. You know, wish we still had her on the team, but 
you know, I knew she wasn't going to be with us forever. And so, you know, it felt good to help her evaluate those options and evaluate those opportunities for herself and, you know, wish her well and we keep in touch. And, you know, it's great that she's gone on to, to do bigger and better things. And so, you know, that's the other thing is to be honest with people to say, hey, I'm here for three years, five years, two years, right? I'm here to learn this. I'm here to learn that. I want to take my my resume, my skill set, whatever it is from point A to point B while I'm here. If something else, you know, firms change, we've grown and we've also had people move, you know, within departments, within groups. Um, and that's great. That's also a path, but it may not be. And, you know, have those honest conversations, you know, look, look at, to see what people can do to help you. There are people who, who want to help, you know, that's huge. And, and one of the things that you talked about, whether you're aware of this or not, is that you've created an environment that, uh, seems psychologically safe. You know, people can feel comfortable coming to you, being who they are, saying what they have to say, knowing that they'll have no fear of any kind of retribution. Yeah. I mean, it's one of the questions I ask when I interview people is, you know, where do you see yourself? And and by the way, the answer is not here in your, you know, taking your job because I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be a company man. I'm going to work here for 20 years. No, that's not what I, I want to hear. I want, you know, give me an honest answer. Uh, you know, like what skill sets are you, are you looking to develop? You know, what do you want to do? And maybe it's my background, you know, because I came out of school and I was at Deloitte and you know, very few people who started Deloitte stayed a partner. So, you know, maybe because it was an open environment, you knew who was looking and you knew where people, what their different kind of jumping off points were going to be on their time at, at Deloitte. So maybe because I started that way, I've always been that way. I, I don't know where it comes from, but it, I've just always, you know, had that that opinion with folks of, hey, let's 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 talk about it. Love to have you here. Love to keep you here selfishly. But, you know, if the times come, let's let's see what we can do to help you. Wow, Jason, you have just shared so much, so many morsels, so many nuggets, and great advice. Uh, before I let you go today, was there any advice in particular um, that was imparted to you through the years that really stands out? Oh man, you know it's funny. That's a tough question. I don't think so, and I don't know why. Although you know, actually, no, I take that back. Years ago. Um, kind of against my better judgment, and I was I was perhaps a little immature at the time, and I, I've hopefully grown a little bit. I was uh, I was given a coach, an executive coach, and my mindset was that that's a negative. That means that they don't like me and they they want to fire me. I've, I've come since to appreciate that it's it's not, and and it can be very good for you. And you know, one of the big takeaways that that I learned from a management style perspective is to really focus on the other person, to understand what their needs, you know, I've always, my, my management style has always been like, Hey, I'm open. I'm direct. We should all be not everybody likes to be right. And so, you know, having that appreciation for how each person likes to receive their feedback, right. Or likes to be managed. That was really the, the big thing that I took away from that coach was really just, it's not always about you, which is kind of obvious, but, but really to understand, you know, how that person, you know, does that person crave public feedback, you know, public praise, right? Because, you, know, you know, praise in public, right? And, and uh, you know, provide the negative feedback in, in private. But, you know, that's that's very simple. But really, it's understanding the personality of each pe- each person that you work with, each person on your team. And then obviously, as you, you expand beyond the people that you're managing, again, those people's, uh, you're trying to influence everybody else at the end of the day, right? So, you know, kind of understanding what motivates them. And so really taking that from more of like a bull in a china shop to really, you know, a partnership. Um, and that was, 
you know, one of the things that really has stuck with me and I, I occasionally get emails from him and I say, oh man, remember that? I remember you were sitting in my office, you were right across from me, you were talking about this like center of locust stuff. And, and <laughs> you know, that was like a, a real pivotal thing. And, and that kind of combined with, uh, I had an HR director at the time who that was his thing. He ran personality tests on all of his people. So when he came in to kind of understand what he was dealing with and I was like, oh, this is all coming together now. I'm really seeing the big picture here of, you know, how to manage and, and, and deal with people. So for me, my personal growth, that was kind of a big turning point, you know, from a both a maturity perspective and recognizing, you know, kind of that transition from managing a team to really being a senior leader at a firm, somebody who's sitting at the table and, and you know, kind of understanding how we can affect change at a, at a greater level. So yeah, it was kind of one of the one of the things that still sticks with me um, to this day. That's a great one. And I'm glad that you highlight that because what a lot of people don't realize and, and appreciate your vulnerability and honesty is it's not just, you know, everyone thinks coaches for people that are like struggling. It's it's not. I mean, if you look at it, you know, the best athletes have coaches. Well, that's coaches. always the selling point. Yes. Yes. Like, the elite athletes have coaches to get better. And, you know, yeah, it's it's unfortunate because firms that I had worked at in the past, coaching was always, ultimately, that was a decision point if we were keeping or firing a person. It unfortunately has that negative connotation in the corporate world. But I think I think a lot of that's changing, hopefully. Um, you know, I think the kind of the stigma around coaching being a negative has has moved. And I know at our firm, it, it's not, you know, and, and I, I've seen, as I started to see more of my peers or, or people who, to your, you know, to the earlier point, people who I was like, oh, I want to be a little more like that person. And I saw, oh, they were doing coach, you know, yeah, I, yeah. I kind of started to realize like, oh, okay, it's, it's a, it's a positive thing. Yeah. Um, and certainly in hindsight, I, I would recommend it. Yeah. yeah. Highly, very much so. Jason, th- this has been awesome. Uh, you know, obviously your career speaks for itself tons of morsels, so many takeaways. Appreciate your time. Appreciate your insights. Appreciate your friendship. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. Good to, good to be here. Make it a great day. Thanks for listening to Conversations with Connors, a NetworkWise podcast. If you or someone you know is looking for a career change, building a business, seeking to expand sales, or is just generally interested in improving your overall health and happiness, then head on over to networkwise.com to gain access to a plethora of resources to help you build your networking skills and community. Those who are ambitious will network. The ones who succeed will network wise.